This is the Mindful Musical Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Miske. music you just heard is a sneak peek of the title track off the upcoming album Palms Upward by composer, arranger, guitarist, and producer Graham Campbell. Based in Toronto, Canada, Graham's colorful and melodic chamber music grounded in jazz, folk, and cinematic styles has been heard at many major festivals across Canada and Europe, including the Ottawa Chamber Fest, the Festival of the Sound, and the Tiberius International Chamber Festival. His film scoring credits include the post-apocalyptic sci-fi My Girl Skelly, which was an official selection at the Markham International Film Festival and a finalist at the Vancouver Independent Film Festival, and the original short Predestination, for which his orchestral score won Best Original Score at the Anatolia Film Festival in Istanbul. Graham also has extensive experience as an educator, spending over 10 years working with Strings Across the Sky, a program that teaches traditional fiddling to indigenous children. Graham's experience as a meditator plays a role in his life as a performer, educator, and composer. In this interview, we discuss his background in mindfulness meditation and Alexander technique, including what his daily practice looks like now and how meditation directly influenced several of his pieces on his new album, Palms Upward. We also discuss how mindfulness has helped him with performance anxiety as a professional guitarist. There is so much in this wonderful conversation, so let's dive right in. Here's Graham. Hi, Graham. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm really excited to hear about what you've got going on with um, your new album, which we'll certainly talk about, and your experience with mindfulness, performance anxiety, all sorts of great stuff. But why don't we start, um, if you don't mind, just uh, you can introduce yourself, and then we can talk a little bit about your background in meditation practices and kind of what that looks like for you now, how that's changed, and and go from there. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, my name's Graham Campbell. I'm a composer and a guitarist. Uh, my background is in jazz. I studied jazz at school, uh, but sometimes I like to joke that I'm a jazz guitarist who's done everything except play jazz guitar. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, been kind of a gigging freelancer my whole life, uh, working in lots of different kinds of music. You know, uh, Brazilian music is, is, is a passion of mine and film scoring is another thing I like to do. So I've kind of been, uh, yeah, been a little all over the place. Cool. So I understand that you you had a um, a more involved mindfulness practice, I'll say, at one point, but now you've kind of adjusted that a bit more to fit with your lifestyle. So do you want to talk a little bit about kind of when you got started with mindfulness, what interests you to begin with, and and what that looks like now? Yeah. So um, it's it's kind of been a long journey uh, through mindfulness. I think it it actually, if you want to go way back, it started in high school when a friend of mine. Um, for a school project, he did an interview with a Buddhist monk, huh. and he recorded the interview. And he thought he thought I would dig it, so he sent it to me. And I think I listened to it like five or six times. Wow. I thought it was just pretty fascinating. I'd never uh, I, I knew nothing about Buddhism, and um, so I, di- I didn't pursue it further. Though um, you know, being a high school student, um, went on to you know 
find something else to obsess over. But I think it kind of plant, planted a little seed. Cool. Um, and so I think years later, another friend invited me to a meditation class. And um, all of a sudden, I remembered that interview uh, that my friend did in high school with the, with the monk. So I started going to some meditation classes. And then, um, and then I didn't actually start uh, a daily med- meditation practice on my own until I started studying the Alexander Technique. Hmm. And um, one of the first things that Alexander Technique teacher tells you to do is to spend 20 minutes a day lying on your back with a book under your head and your feet up on a chair and just think about your body for 20 minutes and send all these kind of um, Alexander thoughts to your body, like think up and, uh, and these sorts of things. So I started doing that and then I realized this is actually kind of a form of like body meditation. So, uh, so I kept doing that and then, um, you know, using some, some guided meditations and podcasts, uh, sort of started exploring other areas of meditation, like following the breath and, and, you know, following your thoughts and, and doing all that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, really it was the Alexander practice, which kind of got me into the routine of doing it every day. And, um, and then nowadays I don't, I don't do that anymore. I, 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 I rarely actually meditate for, for as long as 20 minutes, but instead I just try to look for these little moments in my day where I can just have like, like 10 seconds of mindfulness or however long it is. Um, and I found that during the pandemic actually was kind of conducive to that because, um, I'd never had such a, such a regular routine before in my life (laughs) where like every day was like exactly the same. Uh, so but I found that that was actually kind of useful for that because then it became like, you know, when I made my second cup of coffee in the afternoon after lunch, um, you know, making the coffee became like one of my little meditation moments or washing the dishes or, or whatever it was. Um, they would repeat every single day. And so every time that happened and it came around again, it would be kind of like a little reminder like, oh, yeah, you know, have a have a moment just to just to breathe a little bit and, and check in with whatever whatever your body is is feeling or what your thoughts are saying um so that's kind of the way that i incorporate mindfulness now and i think um to me that that's been more powerful actually than the than the daily like 20 minute meditation practice yeah yeah it's so interesting you mentioned that because i uh i feel like it's it's hard to jump straight to that step of being able to incorporate little moments of mindfulness throughout your day, unless you've mm-hmm. done some kind of formal practice in some way, like working on your awareness and, yeah, and checking in. Yeah. Um, but it, it is so helpful. It's so powerful to be able to, you know, walking down the hallway between classes or something like that. Cause I, I teach at, at a college. And so like, I've got those little moments where you're kind of walking around. It's like, Oh, I could check in for a second instead of jumping on my phone or, you know, like just like running yeah. through like mindless, mindless thoughts of rumination mm-hmm. or whatever, get like current triggering yourself and like setting up habits, like you were saying, that you have moments in your day that you can kind of check in and, and stabilize. Yeah. Um, and I, I think when I did the when I was doing the daily meditations, I would like do my 20 minute meditation and then I wouldn't think about mindfulness for the rest of the day. Right. It was like just that 20 minutes. So maybe now I'm doing 20 minutes, but it's just kind of interspersed throughout the day instead. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, the the formal practice versus the informal practice. And I, I do feel like the mm-hmm. informal practices can be just as powerful. And as long as you're doing them in a way that's, you know, very intentional and things like that. So yeah, anyone that asks that tells me, oh, you know, that 
um, you know, washing the dishes is my meditation or walking is my meditation. It's like those certainly can be and certainly are very powerful meditation practices if you're doing them in a way with like intention about, you know, where your mind is and what your focus is and all that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so with your Alexander technique, um, did you did you come to Alexander technique for, you know, a certain reason in performance or was it, you know, like a physical relation or an issue that you were trying to resolve? I'm just curious kind of what what brought you to Alexander technique? Yeah, I think I think I had just realized that I had formed some really bad habits with guitar playing and, um, you know, as many of us do. And uh, I was starting to experience more pain when I was playing too, shoulder and back pain. And, um, you know, I realized that uh, I just I just had a lot of tightness in my body when I was playing the guitar. And uh, the Alexander technique seemed like um, seemed like a good idea to how to deal with that. When you were working in those 20 minute chunks at the beginning of that Alexander training, um, what were some of the things you started to notice or become aware of in your body when you started to kind of like intentionally focus on that for a while? I think I, I realized that there's always one step further of letting go than you think there is. Mm. So I lie down and I think, okay, here I am. I'm lying down. I'm relaxed. And then like after a couple minutes, all of a sudden, like my shoulder would just like do something and it, it would be like, whoa, that's actually feels much better now. I didn't realize how tight it was. And, uh, and just, yeah, the more you think about it or, you know, the more you focus on it, you put your attention on it, the more you start to discover those things. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, there's, there's this kind of, uh, with the Alexander technique, there's this thing where you, you, uh, when you start out, you notice the tension after it happens and then. Um, the more you work on it, you start to notice it more as it's happening. And then I think that, you know, the final step is to notice it before it happens so that you can take the steps to, to, uh, prevent it. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting about the, the, <laughs> you think you're relaxed and then, then you sit there for another minute or two and it's like, oh, that knot was there. <laughs> I didn't even realize that I was like holding my shoulder up three inches higher on the left side or, you know, those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's, it's so powerful that awareness. Um, I, uh, like one of the practices that I really enjoy and that I, I feel like is a good one for a lot of people is the body scan, which is very mm -hmm. similar. You know, you're just kind of being aware of what's in the body, um, mm -hmm. kind of moving your awareness around in different spots, but it's kind of amazing what you can, what you can realize or the places that you're, you know, unintentionally holding, holding tension that you had no, no idea about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, go ahead. Did you have a, Oh, I, I was just going to say as well with the, with the Alexander technique, one of the things I love about it is that it, it, it's almost like a way of tricking yourself into relaxing because mm. you're not, you're not really, it's not about just, you know, letting go of the tension, but it's about what kind of thoughts you can, you can, you can use that will get you those results. Right. So, for example, one of the ones that I found works really well for me is just to imagine like a lot of space in between all the muscle tissue in my body hmm. or like in between my bones and muscles. I just imagine there's like some kind of open air there. And just thinking about that um, achieves usually it, it achieves more relaxation for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I play French horn. And so I. I think about like width a lot, trying to think about being mm. wide as I'm playing, you know, for, for space, for breathing, of course, you know, but for support too. every, so I, I, I get what you're saying that, that I did it while you were just mentioning that I was trying to see if I could feel that sensation a bit. And it definitely kind of 
felt like things kind of opened up and, and drew down a little bit and kind of relaxed down. But yeah, Steven, you kind of find a little more balance or something. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, did this have any effect on, I mean, I'm sure it did, but what kind of effects, I should say, um, did, did this study have in like your, your experience performing? You know, because you talked a little bit about, you know, your experiences within with performance anxiety. And so I'm just curious kind of how how this all played into that as well. Yeah. So I think it it just the the uh, connection between the mind and the body, it it seems obvious to me now. But I, you know, it was definitely not something that had occurred to me early on in life, but just how interconnected those things are. Um, and when I was struggling with performance anxiety, what was happening was I would uh, my heart would just be racing. Like it would just be pounding out of my chest during a performance and I would lose control. I would lose my fine motor skills. And so mm-hmm. I felt like play my instrument, even if I had practiced a lot, even if I knew the music really, really well, and I'd played it a hundred times before I would just lose control. And, um, what happened was it became sort of a vicious cycle where, uh, I would get the anxiety because I knew that I was going to lose control and I would lose control because I was getting the anxiety. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my solution to uh, how I actually ended up fixing it um, was I would do jumping jacks to, while I was practicing at home. So oh, I wow. do 30 seconds of jumping jacks and then I play guitar with, you know, with my heart rate up. Yeah. And I would practice that way. And basically that just kind of gave me the confidence to know that even if my heart rate is elevated i can still i can still play the guitar and i can still play the music yeah and to actually practice playing under those conditions was what i had to do so then you know i could go i could go on stage and play and my heart would be racing but i would still be able you know i'd still be able to perform and then the next time the i'd have more confidence and so my heart rate wouldn't be as high and eventually it kind of worked itself out that's great yeah it's such a good idea um Mm -hmm. I, I know for, for wind players and singers, um, those of us who use our breath as well, um, the typically the response to that kind of a solution is like, well, I need to be able to breathe. I'm never out of breath when I'm on stage. It's just my heart rate. So I'll offer a, another way you can do that same thing is like a wall sit or something where you're like activating like, like a couple squats oh, yeah. or something like that to kind of yeah. get your blood pumping to make your heart work without necessarily losing your breath. That's a good way to, to deal with it too. Mm. But if you want the extra extra level of challenge and training <laughs> and doing jumping jacks and also being a little out of breath, that's you know even one step further mm-hmm. to, to train your trust a bit more. Um, that's great. Um, I would love to hear. Um, and thank you for sharing about that. It's always it's always good to hear examples of of um, other musicians who deal with the same kind of stuff that we all do. You know? Yeah, yeah, we're all in the same boat. I think totally. Um, I'd love to hear more about um, your new uh, album that's coming out and and specifically how um, mindfulness has kind of played a part in the in the realization of some of those works or, or maybe in your performance of them, um, kind of however you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, sure. So the uh, the album is called Palms Upward, um, which is a reference to meditation, of course. And um, I wrote most of the music during the pandemic, and I think I just... I wanted to kind of just let my subconscious guide the the process. I didn't want to overthink it too much. Hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, in a way, meditation is kind of about like accessing the subconscious a little bit, um, but and the conscious and bringing them together. You know, when when it comes to noticing what your mind is doing or noticing mm-hmm. what your what your body is doing, it's like you're putting that focus on the the uh, um, 
the things that your subconscious is manifesting. Uh, so the, um, and, and I'd say the mood, the mood of the album is, is quite meditative. It's not like, you know, it's not meditation music that, um, there's like a whole industry of that. So <laughs> <laughs> right. it's not, it's not that kind of music, but it's, it's chamber music for various, um, instrumentations. There's a solo piano piece, um, various quintets and sextets. And, um, definitely on a few of the pieces, I took a really programmatic approach to writing about meditation. Um, and the, the uh the the piece palms upward the title track of the album is like kind of my literal interpretation of what might happen during a meditation session yeah i'll i'll play a little sna- uh, sample of that um in this interview so that people can sure. hear a little bit of what's going on there um so yeah what was that i love the idea that it's a it's a representation of kind of like one possible journey through a meditation right <laughs> for palms upward um so what what kind of soundscapes did you kind of envision when you were working on that piece or what were the things that you were trying to kind of get into that composition? Well, I guess the initial, the initial idea of the piece came, um, when I was, uh, just hanging out in a park, getting some fresh air during the pandemic. And, um, I was watching these clouds go by, you know, and they would come into my peripheral vision, go into the middle of my vision and then kind of, kind of keep going. And then I had these thoughts that were doing the same thing. I would start thinking about something. It would kind of sneak up on me and then it would be there in the center of my, uh, in the center of my consciousness. And then it would kind of fade away and get replaced by a new thought. So I thought, you know, these clouds are kind of like an interesting sort of visualization of what's happening mentally. And, um, so that's kind of represented in the guitars in the beginning of the piece. They're sort of fading in and out and overlapping with each other. And um, and it starts in a very kind of peaceful place, which I, I feel like my my experience with meditation is usually like, you know, I'll lie down or something and it's like, ah, oh, finally, I'm meditating and it's it's so peaceful. And then by the end of it, I'm just like thinking about something completely different, thinking about <laughs> like <laughs> thinking about the, oh, I shouldn't have said that stupid thing the other day or right. <laughs> thinking about all the things I have to do. And then ding, the meditation bell goes off and I realize, oh, I was supposed to be meditating. Oh, no. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of what, that's sort of the journey that this piece goes on a little bit. Um, by the end, the, uh, you know, it kind of reaches this sort of like euphoria with a bit of dis- dissonance. And then I couldn't resist ending it with sort of a, a programmatic meditation bell in the, um, in the guitars. Cool. Yeah. I, I've listened to it a few times and it, it definitely for me has that, that same sensation of like thoughts kind of coming up and, and going away like similar to the clouds is such a good description. It's such a good analogy of, of a meditation because, you know, I, I think a, a big missing misunderstanding uh, when it comes to meditation is that your goal is to just blank your mind to be like a blank slate mm-hmm. for the entire yeah. meditation. It's impossible <laughs> as, as anyone who's tried to meditate knows it's virtually <laughs> impossible to make your mind yeah. go completely blank for the entire session. Yeah, you know, and so watching or thinking about your thoughts kind of coming in and out as analogous to watching a cloud flow by, I think that's a perfect, perfect example of like how to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, once in a while, the thought comes that doesn't float away. It just sticks there. Right. And um, then so it's, like, it's kind of what, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's uh, a. It, well, in, in the in the piece, I I sort of thought of the clarinet and the strings as having that role because they're they're based on this sim- simple motif that sounds kind of innocent at the beginning, 
and then it just kind of gets denser as the piece goes. So it's kind of like a thought that sort of just innocently sneaks up on you. And then before you know it, you're sort of embroiled in some grand narrative. Right. Um, yeah, there was another track that you wanted to talk about, too. There was the solo piano track, the um, Kettle Vapors. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This is So this was another kind of programmatic one. Um, and this was specifically about, you know, I mentioned finding little moments of mindfulness throughout the day mm-hmm. and how like making a like making a coffee was one of them for me. So so this is a programmatic piece about kind of having a moment of mindfulness while the kettle is boiling. The piece is two and a half minutes, which I imagine is pretty close to how long it actually takes the kettle to boil. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, it's got this rising motif in the piano and then um you know, before it reaches the top, there's a new one starting below. So you kind of have that like overlapping nebulous feeling again, um, kind of like the other piece. And then, of course, it gets faster and denser as it goes. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, I I I didn't take it literally reading the title the first time, but I love that description that it kind of comes with your your daily meditation practice of making an afternoon cup of coffee. So that's great. <laughs> yep. Um, I know that another big part of your life is as as an educator, and you've seen mm-hmm. some interesting, um, you know, uh, insights into you know mental mental states and mental approaches from different you know. S- styles of student or different, you know, students with different backgrounds or experiences. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I work mostly with kids, um, mostly kids and then adult hobbyists as well. Uh, but yeah, the majority of my teaching is with, with kids um, in either private lessons or, or group settings. And um, I think actually, sometimes I think that maybe I learn more from the students than they learn from me. If that makes sense, I, I'm yep. sure as a teacher you can relate to that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but but definitely with kids, they have um, they have a much less judgmental approach or self judgmental approach when they when they learn an instrument. You know, usually if they make a mistake, it's like they kind of giggle a little bit, um, and they aren't really concerned at all about like where they like am I progressing fast enough? Where you know should you know I've been playing piano for two years or guitar for two years you know, should I be better than I am now? They don't really ask those questions. They just, um, they just kind of come at it with a, with an innocent mindset. And so I think, you know, I think, I think we as adults can learn a lot from that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it really is interesting to see, you know, kids when they're learning something, I think part of the reason, I mean, we all know the brain elasticity stuff about, you know, how smaller, like younger children just learn things quicker. Um, Mm -hmm. they're able to build those connections, um, quicker than, than adults are typically. Um, however, I think a big part of that too, is the being able to just see things as they are and not apply judgment and not apply like 
I should be doing this or I wish I would have done this in the past or whatever. They're very like in the moment focused. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you in, in your own playing? I mean, I, I know I have examples of this, but what have you noticed about the the self-judgment stuff when you're when you're working on stuff, when you're like when you're writing or when you're performing, improvising, you know, working on anything like that? Because I, I know that uh, meditation has an impact on on our ability to to work on that side of things. So I'd be curious to hear what you have experienced. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, like. It, it's um, it comes down kind of to like. You know, there's a lot of in Buddhism, there's a lot about desire and and um, and letting go of desire. And I think, uh, you know, when you're when you're practicing mindfulness or when you're when you're meditating, you're trying not to judge anything that's happening. You're just sort of letting it happen. And um, a big step for me in, in meditation was was realizing that I was never going to quiet my mind and that I had to stop wanting that because it just wasn't going to happen. And, um, and, you know, it wasn't helpful if I'm, if I'm getting, you know, if I'm judging myself for, 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 uh, not having a, an empty mind during a meditation session, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not helpful to the cause. And, um, and, uh, this has actually come up in the Alexander technique too. Um, there was a book I read called, uh, indirect procedures. I can't remember who hmm. wrote it, but it's a great book. And I remember one part that really stuck with me. The example was that, say, there's a cellist who doesn't like their vibrato sound. In order for the cellist to improve their vibrato sound, they have to stop wanting to improve the vibrato sound, which is kind of hard to, um, it's a little hard to comprehend, but I think there's a lot of logic there. So I think you, um, you have to, yeah, you have to kind of turn off that desire to, to um, be a certain thing when you're composing or when you're playing an instrument. And I know when I, you know, when I'm composing, if I start thinking about like the bigger picture or like, you know, what, what do I want this piece to sound like? Or who, who do I want this piece to sound like? Or, you know, if I start yeah. thinking about those things, it just gets in the way, you, you know, you just have to, you just have to write music. Um, and it has to be something that you enjoy in the moment. And then same with when you're, you know, when I'm playing my guitar, if I'm, if I'm uh, worried about, you know, am I gonna, am I gonna get that gig that I want, or, or whatever, whatever it is that's on my mind, it's just gonna make it harder for me. So, yeah, I think it's important to just let go of those things and not, um, not worry about them so much. And it's, of course, it's a lot easier said than done, but, um, you know, it's part of part of the journey. Yeah. Do you have any um, uh, insights into? You know, when you're working with a student, let's say that's like dealing with some heightened levels of self-judgment, like, you know, I, I know I've worked with students, you know, in a in a performance capacity where it's it's hard for them to to even try something if they're at all worried that it's not going to be perfect. That, you know, that kind of thing where it's like there's so much self-judgment and self-criticism that it actually it prevents them from even going for it, you know, even trying to perform something, you know, or even trying something in a lesson. You know, it doesn't even have to be a performance hmm. official. You know, so is there ways that you found that are your that you've been able to help um, students at whatever level kind of get beyond those kinds of blockages? Um, I guess the the uh, one example that comes to mind is when I'm doing some group teaching. Um, sometimes students won't want to try anything in front of the other students, and they're just they're just shy about it. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and I, I teach with an organization called Strings Across the Sky that teaches guitar and fiddling to um, indigenous communities here in Canada. And uh, we do these sort of like, uh, sometimes we teach in, in actual schools and sometimes we do like sort of summer camp type of things. But mm-hmm. usually if there's a student who's shy about playing in class, I'll just try to get a, um, I'll try to get some one-on-one time with them somehow. And um, usually, you know, usually it's possible like during a break or something. And then um, if I can do that just for like five minutes and get them to try it, just that it will be give them enough of a boost of confidence that usually they'll feel comfortable next time the next time the class is happening. Yeah, just giving them a little bit of extra confidence and get let them to try it somewhere in a in what they perceive as a, a safer space, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, it's it's so interesting to to see those different levels of of judgment and in in students especially. I know I've seen in like friends and colleagues and students alike like different levels of that, you know, some, some people are just like, Oh, I don't care. I'll just go for it. You know, it's like, I don't care what happens and, and just, you know, go for it with a hundred percent. And then some people are super careful. Right. And yeah. And yeah. how they approach, you know, different repertoire or whatever. So it's always, always nice to hear different examples of how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I'm really excited for people to hear your new album. Um, you want to tell us a little bit more about when that's coming out and where they can find it and then anything about like where they can find more information about you and what you're doing um anything like that yeah for sure uh so my website is grahamcampbell.ca and um you can find all the information about the album there it's available on bandcamp there's a there's a link on my website to the bandcamp page so you can um you can you can download it uh, you can buy it digitally or you can buy a physical CD if you're still, uh, if you still have a CD player. <laughs> um, and it'll also be available on all the, you know, all the usual streaming services. Um, and then I'm also on social media and stuff. So Graham K Campbell is my Instagram. Great. Um, that's awesome. I, um, I, there was so much good information and I'll make sure to link to, um, any of the resources that you mentioned in here and I'll add links to your website and social media and that kind of stuff to the show notes, of course. Um, but I think for now we'll we'll call that good and um, and I'll say thanks on on behalf of myself and everyone who's listening for a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Great, thanks, Graham. You can keep up to date on all new podcast releases and other exciting news by following me on Instagram at Mindful Musical Life or by visiting the website mindfulmusicallife.com. If you have a suggestion for a future topic or guest, please reach out. I'd love to hear your ideas. Remember, anyone who might be interested in mindfulness coaching can reach out via Instagram or my website to schedule a free 30-minute consultation. And lastly, if you like the podcast, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you again for listening, and see you next time.